Again, it's a blessing to be here again this morning to share God's word with you. Um, as as I was preparing this this week, it um, not only emotionally touched me, but it, it actually spoke to me. And as I mentioned the last time that I preached, uh, when me, John, or Jason, or Rod are up here preaching, we're all not only preaching and teaching ourselves, but I mean to you guys, but we're preaching and teaching ourselves first. Um, the needs and stuff that we see that's around us is not only in other countries, but it's right here. We have a need to first preach the gospel to a world that's in need. Another thing I want to touch on too before we actually get into the scriptures is um, the banning of the Bible. I don't know if you guys have heard this or not, but California now um, it's before the House now. I think it's where it's at now. But they want to vote on banning the Bible. And what this, what would happen um, is that any oral statements or any written material that concerns Christ would be banned. This has been done in three countries. UK, Canada, China. Totally banned. Even unbelievers should be able to see that this Bible is the most glorious thing God has given his people because it tells us this. I hope we're not naive enough to think that this wasn't going to happen here. But Jesus said, take heart. Well, if I've overcome the world, amen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Amen. Amen. And 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 so as I as I was hearing this, it it saddens me. It saddens me because it seems as if we care about and, and don't get me wrong. We should care about third world countries and sending missionaries to other countries. But we should care too about the people that surround us right here in this country, in this state, in this city, in these towns. So I would like to pray again before we actually get started. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for giving us an opportunity to be your light to a world that's so dark. Heavenly Father, again, I ask you to remove me out of the way and let your word be told today. Heavenly Father, I pray for all the families who are going through tragedies, but we do know that nothing happens without you knowing. Everything that happens in this world, Lord, you're sovereign over all. And as your words preached today, Lord, I ask that hearts and minds be open. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before we get also to the text, too, is a story that, that's going to lead us right into Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. And it's a story about a, a, a young man named Danny. 
Danny is born with a very rare condition uh, with no ears. He can hear just fine, but the outer layers of his ears is not present. So you can imagine some of the stress and some of the depression stuff that he goes through uh, in life. Yet, um, he has people that surround him with love and sustains him. Danny was born without ears. He could hear all right, but he didn't have the outer folds of skin and cartilage of normal people. All his life, Danny endured ridicule and rejection because of his deformity. But he learned to live with it. Thankfully, he had loving parents and a strong family to sustain him. When Danny was in high school, his doctor told him of a new procedure that made it possible to transplant ears from one person to another. That meant Danny could get new ears if someone who was compatible to him ever donated theirs. This was exciting news. After all, people donated body parts all the time. Hearts, lungs, kidneys. But Danny soon found out that donor ears were extremely scarce. But Danny didn't give up hope. However, he knew that someday he would get new ears. He graduated from high school with honors and was accepted at a major university thousands of miles away. He kissed his parents goodbye and began his life as a college student. Again, though, he found it hard to make friends and fit in because of his lack of ears. One day, he got a phone call from his father. Go to the hospital near, near your university tomorrow, Danny. A donor has been found. So the very next day, Danny checked into the hospital where doctors were ready to perform the surgery. A few hours later, Danny had new ears. When the bandages came off, Danny gazed in the mirror for hours. He finally had ears like normal people. For the first time in his life, he wasn't ashamed of the way he looked. He not only had new ears, but he had a new life. A few weeks later, Danny received another phone call from his father. Son, your mother is very ill, his father said. She may not live through the night. Danny was on the first plane home. When he arrived, his father gave him the sad news that his mother had died during the night. Together they went to the funeral home where Danny was able to see his mother one last time. He leaned over to kiss her cheek, and brushing her hair back from her face, Danny noticed something, that her ears had been removed. Did you get that? It should remind us of the most amazing compassion and love that God has for each and every one of his children. He is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith. He suffered and died in our place upon the cross, and through his death, we have been given life. So love drives men and women to attempt difficult things. When we love someone, we are willing to do anything to help them. So this morning, I want to look at an amazing woman of faith. Churches sometimes call their women ministries women of faith, right? But what does it mean to be a, a woman of faith? How is that demonstrated in our lives? In order to help us understand this, I want to look at a very confusing, or could be a confusing encounter between Jesus and a Canaanite woman. We find this in Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to start at verse 21 through 28. Now, as we read this passage of Scripture, I believe your first reaction would be to ask some very difficult questions. One, why did Jesus act this way toward this woman in need? 
Why did Jesus act this way toward this woman in need? Secondly, why would he use such harsh language to address her? Okay? And thirdly, what purpose was gained by his seeming indifference to her request or plea for help? So let's begin by looking at the scriptures. Verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So at first glance, this encounter seems so harsh, so out of character for Jesus. He remains silent to her plea or cry for help. And he tells her he was not sent to help Gentiles. And he calls her by the derogatory name used at this time by the Jews when they spoke of the Canaanite people. And they referred to them as dogs. It's pretty harsh language. Is this the same Jesus who would die for the sins of the world? Is this the same Jesus who never denied a request for help? Of course it is. Of course. So, we must study the scriptures to find the meaning behind this encounter. The first place to look is the passage that comes before this encounter and also the passage that comes after. Precept upon precept to get an understanding of what Jesus is actually saying and why he's saying and doing what he's doing. Both of them deal with food and compassion. Okay? So let's first look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. It says, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what would you have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So again, you can see Jesus is actually stressing the heart issue. Again. So here we have Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees who complain that the disciples do not wash their hands before they eat. They ignore the rules and rituals of cleanliness that they had established to the extreme. Jesus turns this around on them and talks about how they ignore the commandments to honor your father and your mother by reinterpreting the law to fit their own bias. Right? 
He calls them hypocrites. And then he challenges them with this thought. He says, it isn't food that makes a person clean or unclean, but what comes out of a heart. Later we see that he feeds the, the people again for them to see that he is the bread of life. Rod touched on this also. But later in this chapter, at verse 32, he said, Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get bread in such a desolate place to feed such great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given them thanks, he broke them and gave to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the crowds. So again, we see what Jesus is doing here. And I'm doing this in order for us to get an understanding on the encounter that Jesus has with this Canaanite woman. Because bread and compassion was used in both illustrations. Okay? So he, he turns this around on them, but we also see that uh, what Jesus is saying makes the food is not the thing that makes a person clean or unclean, but what comes out of a heart. So Jesus again stresses the importance of a heart that is humble and broken before the Most High. Now, in the passage that follows our encounter with the Canaanite woman, Jesus again uses food to teach his disciples, right? He has compassion on the crowd that has followed him for three days without anything to eat, and he demonstrates that he's the bread of life by multiplying their loaves and fishes to feed the thousands. So in the midst of these two stories come an encounter with the woman who was outside the covenant of Abraham. A woman who not only was a Gentile, a non-believer, but also a Canaanite woman. One of the hated enemies of Israel who had almost been destroyed because of their idol worship. You have to remember these people were steeped in idolatry, the Canaanite people. Again, I stress the point of history and timelines. These people dabbled a lot into the occult. Okay? They dealt with spirits and gods that not were of God, but of the devil. So this girl, this woman's daughter, is now possessed with these demons, with a demon. And in this encounter with this woman, bread once again is used to illustrate God's plan and provision for the needs of mankind. Now, we know that there are many different sermons and lessons that could be pulled from this encounter. But this morning, God wants me to preach this message. The bread of life is given when we believe. Okay? The bread of life is given when we believe. Let's take a look at this woman's faith. The faith that was given to her by the Most High. Let's look at Matthew chapter 21, I mean, verse 15, chapter 15, verses 21 through 24. And Jesus went away from there. And withdrew to the district of Tyre, of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So we see that the bread of life is given when we believe. Prayer, as you can see, this woman cries out. Faith is exhibited also when we cry out to God for mercy. Prayer is an act of faith. 
right? If we didn't have faith, we wouldn't be praying. We wouldn't pray. Our prayers, and who is merciful enough to give us what we need, and not what our own selfish hearts desire. We believe he rewards those who diligently seek him. Notice the scene that is described for us. Jesus is first withdrawn to an unknown territory. He has taken time for refreshment and preparation for the last days of his ministry. Okay? He has an encounter opposition, and now he goes into an area that belongs to the Gentiles and where the crowds would not be pressing in on it. He does not enter the cities because his mission was the people of Israel. He was sent as their Messiah. But they later reject him as Messiah, and this is what, by God's sovereign plan or design, brings opportunity for salvation to the Gentiles. How do we know this? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Give me an eight man when you get there. Romans chapter 11, and let's look at verses 11 and 12. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to who? The Gentiles. So as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their inclusion mean? So we see here from Scripture what this meant when the Jews rejected their Messiah. Okay? We have to remember also that God had made a covenant with the children of Abraham, and they must be the first who are given a chance to repent. Right? They must be the first to be given a chance to repent and respond to Jesus. Again, the only way anyone can respond to Jesus is God does the work in the heart. That is the only way. Paul says we're dead in our sins and trespasses. That means if I have a person up here who is dead, right, physical, can I go over to him and push on him and say, hey, man, get up. Church is over. No. It won't work. But these, I don't know what you call those things. My wife's a nurse. She can tell you. These things that they put on you to pump you, you know, to put life back in you. If they keep doing that, eventually, a lot of times, it will bring you back to life. This is an example of how God works on the spirit. Because without him working on the spirit, there is no life in us whatsoever. Amen? So we see that not only is this woman not a part of the Jews but first they have to give the chance to the first the chance has to come to the Jews for them to respond to Jesus when their opportunity has passed and they have rejected Jesus as their own and when he is crucified and resurrected then and only then would he send his disciples out into the streets to make disciples of all nations and people but Jesus also is responsive to those who genuinely seek him in faith 
He responds to the faith of people. Some have little or no faith, and he touches and heals them without them even asking for it. And others, he has given great faith. And he tests them to prove and show the greatness of the faith that has been given to them. It's interesting that the two who were commended most by Jesus for their faith was a centurion soldier and this Canaanite woman. Both receive healing from their loved ones without Jesus even being present. So now in the region outside the cities of Tyre and Sidon, we have a woman who approaches Jesus with loud petitions, like the blind man who continued to call out for Jesus to heal him. This woman prays fervently and passionately for the Lord's help. I want you to also notice something. Notice to how she acknowledges who Jesus is. Look at this. She says, in verse 22, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Look what she says. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She calls him Lord, the one who is master, the one who has power, the one who is in control, and she calls him son of David, the promised Messiah for the chosen people of the Most High. She recognizes this, yet the Jews don't. Again, this woman's faith that God has given her is great. Because again, we can't generate faith in our own. We can't lock ourselves in a room and say, today I'm going to repent and today I'm going to believe. That is a work of God. And only Him. And using these names, she acknowledges that he is Lord over all, but that he also has a special relationship with the children of Israel, which she's not included. He's not her Messiah yet. Right? We just said earlier here that he has to be crucified and then risen. And then he would send his apostles to the Gentiles to make disciples of all nations and people. This hadn't happened yet. But he's responding to the faith that she's been given. So she sees that he has a special relationship with the children of Israel, of which she's not included. He's not a Messiah yet. Then she cries out her prayer of desperation and hope. Have mercy on me. Now this prayer exhibits several aspects of her faith. I'm going to mention a few. Number one, she must believe that Jesus can dispense mercy. Right? He must be powerful enough to deal with her problem. And thirdly, he must be compassionate enough to care about her condition. Because what is mercy? Mercy is, in, is, a, is an undeserved act of God. She's basically saying, I know I am a sinner, and my people are not your chosen people, but please show us your mercy. Her request is for herself, and the greatest thing Jesus could do for her would be to help her daughter. She's so identified with her daughter's suffering that a request for help would be a request for both of them. Now, back to what I was saying, her daughter is now possessed with a demon. We have to look at this. The Canaanite people dabbled into the occult. I hope we're not naive enough to believe that these things still don't go on. Because they do. A lot of the ones we admire on TV... A lot of these televangelists, 
they dabble into the occult. You can't be a Freemason and then be a church member. You can't dabble into the occult and call yourself a Christian. You can't mess around with the Illuminati and then come to church and think that it's okay. It is not. Again, I'm not saying this to be mean-spirited, but I just want us to know the gift that God has given his people. Paul said we don't fight against flesh and blood. What is that telling us? Principalities. Wickedness in high places. Evil spirits. If it's not flesh and blood, then what is it? They worship spirits and gods that were not God, but of the devil. Still goes on today. They're offering people up for sacrifices today just like they did in days of Baal. I hope we're not naive not to believe that. That naive. And so this girl is tormented and being harassed by the devil. By one of his. Right? And so she cries out for mercy. But what does Jesus do? He remains silent. How many times have we prayed and haven't seemed silent to us? Oh God, I just, I need you to do this. No answer. He remains silent. Does it mean that God does not hear your request? Jesus certainly heard this woman. Right? Does it mean God doesn't care about your needs? At first, it might appear this way, but remember, Jesus knows the beginning from the end. He knows that he will grant this woman's request and heal her daughter, but not yet. He's teaching us to hold on. Be patient. We must not take silence as God's indifference or inability. He is compassionate, and his timing is always best. Contrary to what we may or may not believe, perhaps there's still a work to do in our heart. Maybe we need to move the log out of our eye before we go and start trying to remove the piece of things, something that's in our neighbor's eye. How many times have we turned down requests of people's cries to us because uh, they're not accepted by society, so we don't, we ain't going to look at them. Does Jesus do this? No. She keeps crying out over and over and over again, and she will not be quiet. And so the disciples, as you can see, get a little frustrated. There are a couple of ways to interpret what they say here, but I I think the way that makes the most sense is this. They're They're saying, Jesus, just give her what she wants, and she leave us alone. Not a lot of compassion or concern on their part is. They just want the suffering to end so they can have peace. How many times do we turn a deaf ear to the cries of others? There's people crying right here in this county right now. Right now. She just spoke about angels' wings. People that are starving right here that we see all the time. We're not only hungry physically, but they're hungry spiritually. And I can just hear Jesus crying out, go and show compassion, just as you've seen me show compassion to these people. 
And so Jesus gives the boys a little theology lesson here. He says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Do you forget how many of your countrymen still have not accepted me? Do you have any compassion for them at all? Are you concerned for their salvation? Or do you just want to walk around with me doing good deeds? There was a lesson here for both the woman and the disciples. The bread of heaven is given when we believe. Faith is exhibited when we cry out to God for mercy. Second, faith is exhibited when we humble ourselves at his feet. As we see here, what does this woman do here? She came and she knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. The woman does not accept the silence of Jesus. She doesn't listen to his words of exclusion. She runs up to him and she falls at his feet in humility and in worship. The disciples has gotten used to being around Jesus. He was their master, yes, but he also became their buddy. See? Yes, he, he was the Messiah. Yes, he is also the son of God, but hey, it's Jesus. That's how they looked at it. They still didn't get what Jesus was doing here. It's Jesus. This woman does not see Jesus as her cosmic buddy. She sees him as Lord of all. She sees him as her God, and so she throws herself at his feet in adoration and in supplication. Do we see that? And her prayer is the simplest prayer anyone can pray. Lord, help me. We can become complacent and casual in our relationship with Jesus. We sing about it in songs. What a friend we have in Jesus. And yes, Jesus is our friend. He says that to his disciples in John 15. No greater love does a man have than he lays down his life for his friends. But Jesus is so much more than our friend. He is God. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. He is our redeemer. He is our breath and life. He's not just something we do on Sunday. He is our life. He could take our lives right now. He could withhold the blessings of food and shelter until you would acknowledge and worship him. I have some questions for us. Why are we so casual about worship? Why are we so disrespectful in the way we approach an almighty and a righteous and a holy God? Why do we get more passionate about baseball and football than we do about entering into the throne room of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? We can get pumped up for that. I mentioned something about a Bible study. It's all kinds of excuses. A lot of people will test you when you walk for Christ. It happens all the time at work. By bosses, by employees, they test us all the time. And there's another guy who I ride with to work. He's a preacher too down in Vandalia. And he was talking about how his church members bicker on some of the smallest things. How can we be a light to a dark world when we can't even be gentle and kind to each other? The world looks on and say, what are you giving me? You're doing the same thing we're doing. 
You're engaging in the same conversations we engage in. You act the same way we do. You do the same things we do. What are you giving me? And he says a preacher told him one time in order to get people to come to church. You know, sometimes, he said, this preacher says, sometimes you got to give them what they want in order to give them what they need. No. Because what they need is the word of God. That's attractive. But it's not going to be attractive until God does a work in the heart. We can't do the work of God. He's given us assignment to do through Christ. Amen. Jesus warned people of their lukewarm approach to Christianity. They weren't hot and they weren't cold. They were just there and he, he just wanted to spit them out of his mouth. Maybe if we recognize this same lukewarm attitude in our lives, then perhaps we would cry out to God. We would cry out to the most high about our own apathy. Oh Lord, give us a heart that is hungry for you. Give us a heart of humility and a heart of worship. The bread of heaven is given when we believe. Faith is exhibited when we cry out to God for mercy. Faith is exhibited when we humble ourselves at Jesus' feet. And so this woman cries out, Lord, help me. Certainly Jesus can't resist her now, right? She is so sincere. She is so passionate. She is so broken. But Jesus gives her one more test. Look at verse 26. He says, and he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Right? It isn't right to give the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And then she says in verse, excuse me, 27, she says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And in verse 28, Jesus answered her, O woman, Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Another thing, thirdly, I want us to look at, that faith is exhibited when we refuse to give up. Again, God's doing the work. Right? So, now, what is Jesus saying to her? Think for a moment using the spiritual sense that God gave us when we got when he saved us. Of course, you are a loving parent. You're not going to take your child's food and feed it to the dogs. You make sure that your child has enough to eat, and then when he or she is satisfied, you'll feed the dogs with the leftovers. This makes perfect sense. Jesus was sent to the Jews. They would be be given the first opportunity to eat from the bread of life. When they have eaten or if they refuse to eat, then there will be more than enough to go around. He is direct but tender in his words. And he knows that this woman would not give up so easily. Remember, Jesus knows the beginning from the end. So all of this was a test of faith. People, even though we have all of these things that go on in this world today, as I was mentioning earlier about the banning of the Bible and all that, there are Christians that are standing up for that, that call themselves Christians. Because they don't want to offend others or they don't they don't want to hurt the feelings of someone else I've said it a thousand times the gospel saves people and it also offends people 
How many people did Jesus offend? Do you think that we're going to casually just walk through life and not be tested? But notice what this woman does. She begins by agreeing with Jesus. She says, yes, Jesus, you are the Jewish Messiah. Yes, Jesus, salvation is from the Jews. She says, yes, Jesus, compared to the chosen people of God, we are but dogs. But even the dogs that are under the master's table get to eat the leftovers. That's great faith. And there's so many lessons that I said at first that could be pulled from this. God wanted me to speak on that. The bread of life is given when we believe. If you notice how the disciples acted again, they was basically acting out of selfishness again. They didn't realize what Jesus was actually doing, and so many examples had been laid before and after. It took a while for them to catch on. Another point I want to go back to is when we have an opportunity to go out and preach the gospel to a lost world, we need to jump on every opportunity God provides for us. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he took our sin, took our punishment. The Bible tells us, your word tells us that you made him to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's such soothing words in a world that's so dark, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifices that have been made. We thank you for the opportunities that you lay before us. And Lord, give us the strength and the courage to go out and do them, no matter the consequence. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the things that you do on a daily basis that we don't even realize or don't take to heart. Heavenly Father, it's your will that these things happen, that everything that happens, Lord. Nothing happens without you knowing. You are the bread of life, Heavenly Father. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.